Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. This is episode 242 of Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments. A quick shout out to our presenting sponsor. Ping Pong Payments is helping more sellers keep more of their hard-earned money, whether it's being sending payments to their suppliers, manufacturers, your VAs, your employees worldwide, or if you're growing on Amazon. This is the year I think a lot of sellers are going to be looking at moving into maybe uh, Canada or Mexico or Australia or Japan, wherever you might be growing. It doesn't have to just be on Amazon. It could be other marketplaces as well. We are going to be helping you save more of your money um, when you convert those funds back to your local uh, bank account. So go and check out usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast. That's where you'll catch all of our past episodes, 240. One of them, this is 242, so this one won't be there yet. Uh, all past episodes where you can watch and listen to our best past episodes as well as signing up for a free ping pong account today. Thank you, ping pong payments for sponsoring crossover commerce. Uh, that being said, if you are watching this on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, thanks for joining us today on another beautiful day. Uh, I jokingly say this is a packed week. Um, not a joke, actually. It's uh, five days in a row. We're going to have a podcast where we're going to be talking with experts in the field of Amazon at different capacities, right? We want to make sure that everyone uh, can have different topics and aware, uh, be aware of different things that we're going on. That's the beauty of crossover commerce is we've talked anything from sourcing, logistics, marketing, advertising, localization, mo uh, global growth, um, all the way to uh, what marketplaces and roundtables are uh, going to be successful for you in that year. So with that being said, you've hit the right place. If you're a past, uh, if you're a past listener, thanks for coming back. Or if you're new, go ahead and let us know that you're listening for the first time in the comments section below. We see those. We can throw them up on the screen. If you have a question for myself or our guest, that's always a great way to put it as well. We'll make sure we get those answered live. Or if you catch us on a different time, we'll make sure that we get those answered and tag you in it as well. So that being said, um, every episode I, I I make people. Uh, this is this is something that's true. I make people before they come on. They kind of give me a little bit of a pitch. This is because you go on two hundred and forty something episodes. Uh, people start now to pitch ideas if they want to come on the podcast. If I don't invite them, um, they they kind of give me an idea of what they want to talk about. So. I always have to vet, green light, make sure people are going to bring great value for you, the listener. That's my job for you. Um, but also, I want to like bring on really cool people too. People who've uh, who who can who've seen the world, who who've seen the landscape kind of evolve um, from this infancy age all the way to it's like go through its teen uh, kind of awkward years of growth, um, maybe too growth too quickly, and kind of can see where they're going to be as as they mature down the road too. And I think we have one of those guests today. Um, I wasn't telling him how I'd introduce him today because this is how I kind of see how this is going to go today. Um, I'm really excited to bring Gregory uh, Frank of uh, Empire Flippers on. And he's he's seen the industry and the aggregation space kind of grow from its infancy all the way up to its kind of awkward growth, hyper growth stage. And maybe we're hitting maybe the back end of it. And, that, and that's why we, we uh, titled today's episode is this the end of the season of the seller? And that's what we mean by this title. Is is it the end of the ridiculous uh, multiples? Is this the end of, hey, all of I'm going to be able to exit, no problem. I'm going to have multiple bidders for my brand. Is, is this the end? I don't know. We'll find out today. So um, like I mentioned before, brought on uh, Gregory from uh, Empire Flippers today, all the way from Philippines to talk with us on Crossover Commerce Day. Gregory, thank you so much for hopping on uh, Crossover Commerce in my corner of the internet. 
Yeah, yeah. Thanks, uh, thanks for the introduction. Uh, <laughs> I feel I feel like I'm blushing from all the kind words you just said. No, you're not. Uh, uh, I'm actually uh, I'm in Vietnam though. Over the Philippines. Vietnam, I said Philippines. <laughs> I'm sorry. That that's my fault. <laughs> no, we no we talked about this pre-show. So everyone in. Uh, so yeah, exactly. That 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 is completely my fault. We. Uh, but yeah, you're. Uh, th this is true. I don't know how I came up with that awkward growth stage uh, of being a, a preteen or something like that. Maybe my seven year olds kind of spurred me on. It's like this weird, like awkward <laughs> stage of now you're seeing some weird stuff happening and growing so quickly out of like clothes and stuff like that. But, uh, but man, you you've seen it all. I feel like you've you're employee number four at Empire Flippers. I'll let you tell the story because I, you know your background better than I do. But I want to hear uh, how you got to Empire Flippers. Have you always been in e commerce? End of end of all my berating of questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so I, I, my my background is uh, a bit unique, I'd say. Uh, so before EF, I was in Alaska. That's where I'm born and raised is in Anchorage, Alaska. And I was an oil filled roughneck. So I was drilling for oil covered in chemicals, wearing the Darth really? Vader rubber suit. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was very similar to e-commerce. Uh, but uh, I hated it, and I self-taught myself internet marketing and got out of that and ended up joining uh, up with EF when we were a very, very small company. Uh, I was employee number four, like you mentioned. And back then, or this is like six years ago, I just celebrated six years uh, a few weeks ago at EF. Uh, yeah. And uh, back, yeah, thank you. Uh, back then, there was like, we all fit into this Airbnb in Vietnam or wherever we went around the world because we're, you know, a digital nomad company. And back then, also, FBA wasn't even really a thing. Like, it was starting to become a thing. I think it was like six months into my career at EF that FBA became a thing. And I remember, uh, and I'm pretty sure we were the very first ones to ever sell an Amazon FBA business because, like, Amazon didn't know you could do that. So we had to like talk to them over and over again about like, yes, you can legally sell an Amazon business. Really? Like, no, so you Amazon, can't sell accounts. It's fraudulent. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> they reached out to you and they said, can you guys actually do this? They were questioning you and thought that was, they didn't know if it was legitimate or not. So, so what ended up happening is we ended up selling them and we were telling Amazon, Hey, we're selling them because we, we wanted to be uh, transparent. Right. And they're like, Oh, you can't sell an account. It's like, great. We're not selling an account. We're selling a business asset. Like sure. what? And so <laughs> they were very confused. Uh, eventually they got us up to like, uh, you know, higher levels of management at Amazon. And we told them the deal and they're like, Oh yeah, no, this isn't fraudulent. Cause that was their big concern. Right. It's like, we don't want fraudulent accounts, all this kind of stuff. You're selling uh, black hat accounts, whatever. Uh, so yeah, Amazon didn't even know that was a possibility. So we've seen this ride all the way from the very beginning to where we're at now. And uh, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, it's been amazing how much things have grown and matured over the years. That's amazing, man. Well, that, that's funny that you mentioned that Amazon didn't know that this was the thing, which is kind of funny and and how it kind of came quickly. You you said maybe what this was back in 2016, 17 or so, if, if we're doing math, mm -hmm. which, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if, we're, if we're talking about just the basics of it, as when FBA was really taking off, we we'll, we'll call it the quote, you call it, I know you'd call it too, uh, the Wild West days of Amazon, when kind of like everything was, was acceptable, um, how to, you just had to be one step ahead of the next seller. And people didn't understand that it was not just a business year for me. You weren't selling widgets. You weren't just like this reseller. You were now becoming a brand and you guys had that, that focus. So what was it like kind of, 
taking a chance on something that wasn't really yet formed or an idea or an industry really formed yet. And you kind of are here today and you kind of see this ridiculous growth over the past couple of years. Sure. Yeah. So I think one thing that people forget about nowadays about us is that we sell any online business, not just FBA, right? So we've sold DDC, Commerce, Shopify, Magenta Stores, Shopify apps, iPhone apps, Android apps, uh, affiliate sites. The weirdest business that we sell, in my opinion, is KDP businesses. So people who like write a bunch of books with ghost writers and they have this whole like publishing system, and then they sell that. Um, so we've always been kind of on the cutting edge of, uh, these new business models and, uh, we're a fan of digital businesses. We're all, we only sell digital businesses. So it made perfect sense to us with how many friends we had in the, in the space doing FBA for us to sell FBA businesses. And we, uh, like most business models, um, you start off with low multiples, uh, because no one really understands the model yet. Like they don't get the business yet. So it hasn't matured in the buyer's eyes, but then over time it, we know it just grows from there. So, right. um, yeah, we, we were happy to uh, jump into the, uh, leap into it, leap into it. And we were, like I said, we were one of the first and I still remember this kind of funny story. We had this seller, uh, he was asking us like, why should he go with us over this other broker? And our salesperson at the time, he took a screenshot of the other broker's website of the businesses that they sell. And it said Amazon FBA coming soon. I was like, well, that might be the first like indication that you might want to go with us over them. <laughs> if you're selling an FBA business and yeah, that's what they're promoting, FBA coming soon. That's not a good sign. Yeah, right. Not a lot of experience yeah. there. Well, interesting. So yeah, so with the model, I, I think it's interesting because you're selling a lot more than just FBA businesses, right? Of um, there, you said like affiliate sites, there's blogs, there, there's things of value and the, the, the value is, is different for each business. So there's traffic, there's, there's revenue, there's income resources. I'm, I'm assuming that that's kind of where the whole model comes. You're semi brokering or allowing people to see what's available for sale. Not like a, not like a used car lot or anything like that, but almost like a very much a, Hey, people are trying to, they, they can't grow it anymore. They want to just move on with it. And entrepreneurs at heart always want to take advantage of good opportunity. So this is where I'm assuming Empire Flippers kind of came about. So why has it been the focus on FBA mainly or have you guys been pretty easily diverse or does it kind of just ebb and flow with the times and your time there? Yeah, so I would say it's it's a mix. It's a mixed bag. When I first came on board, I would say affiliate sites and, and like new media sites are monetized through say display ads were by far our bread and butter that was our main thing we sold um now it's switch where fba is by far the main thing we sold uh we still sell tons of affiliate websites tons of uh of those media websites uh and with smattering of other of other business models as well but fba has definitely become a dominant player uh i think part of that is because of how early we were so we kind of figure out all the processes that you need to do before <laughs> before anyone else really uh, came to the table uh, that give us a lot of uh, advantage there. And, and to your point on the marketplace side, so like with EF, like we, yes, we have a marketplace, but we are more similar to like an M&A advisory at, the, at this point than like, a, you know, a traditional marketplace kind of setup. Like yeah, sure. I just went through an actual M&A, uh, an actual M&A advisory uh, thing with someone who's like um, more old school and like 
I just looked at that process like, man, <laughs> you should really use our process for this. <laughs> Yours is much more antiquated uh, than what we do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, there's so many different businesses that came right in 2020, 2021, uh, really last year. And I think even still cropping up today, uh, there's either brokers or there's, uh, you know, there's quote unquote aggregators and they're all size too, right? They're there are people who want to only stay. I'm going to run three brands or five brands. I had a call with a person like that and asking my, he was asking my advice and said, uh, a mutual friend or uh, a friend in the space. And he goes, is this something that you think there's still opportunity? I said, I think there is always going to be opportunity. It just depends on the model. And if you know, Amazon or where you want to really focus on. So I know that there's like big scale, crazy, uh, names that are, you know, like the thrusters, the purchase, the Empire Flippers, or the Empire Flippers, and then the Elevate brands, so on and so forth, based upon money raised. Why Why has it been such a time? I would say, like, why did we see this rise all of a sudden quickly? And then, obviously, I think there's this weird, awkward gap right now that's like a wait-and-see <laughs> moment, like a weird, yeah. who's going to blink first or who's going to, like, say the next thing? Why, why are we at where we are today? I think that's a, a great insight into like kind of what's happening right now. But but uh, yeah, the origin of the of all of this, like so we started selling FBA back in 2016. I think it, uh, it was around 2018, towards the end of 2018, that Thrasio came around, if I remember right. But yeah. before Thrasio came around, like Thrasio is often heralded as the first aggregator right but that's not actually true we sold to aggregators before thrasio it's just they all failed <laughs> so they never yeah. got like scaled or hype or stuff like that and it wasn't like some of the aggregators didn't do fba they were doing other stuff like affiliate sites for example uh but we always knew like look this is a powerful model it makes sense to do this roll-up kind of uh, model with what they're with what an aggregator can do eventually someone's going to figure it out and they're going to really knock it out of the park once they do and then thrasio came along and did it so thrasio is the real trailblazer in that sense i kind of feel like they're almost like uh all the aggregators are like our children because thrasio like originally started buying yeah, all the, the first from us <laughs> yeah you're like the first born and all the other siblings came along you know afterwards but uh uh, they grow up so fast <laughs> that we have like four, four unicorns. They're so damn clients, expensive you know? too. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I say Thrasio was the trailblazer and then everyone just started following Thrasio. And I remember it got to this heated pitch where, uh, this is probably like, I don't know, maybe two years ago, two and a half years ago, something like that. I remember having this aggregator on our podcast, the opportunity podcast, and our, our my uh, the person that hosts it for me, she asked them like, "Hey, do you mind if I ask you about some of our secret sauce, uh, or some of your secret sauce that makes your aggregator like really work?" Right? And he's like, "Of course. I mean, everyone knows what to do. Thrasio tells everyone what to do." And what's hilarious about that is we just had Thrasio on, and uh, he had said like, "I can't tell you the secret sauce because everyone's going to copy me." I'm like, "Wow, you got that right." <laughs> It's, um, so it was uh it was pretty funny <laughs> well that's the thing too and, and like i i watch this and i'm a i'm probably like you a social listener right you want it you want to get the whole picture instead of just one person's picture because some person can be a really good salesperson and again i've had so many of them on the podcast i like i, have, I consider a lot of them friends of, of the industry and the business and i think they're really smart people but if you can get a really salesperson a really good salesperson in there you can sell the idea of almost anything and and again 
I think that's the concept of why there's so many that businesses that kind of came quickly is because, oh, they can do it. Well, I can do it better. Or they, there's always like one up mentality. Oh. But then also, you're right. It's not like it's not that big of a secret. I, I, what aggregators do and what's successful is very much a hard thing to do. But it may be more simple than a lot of people thought. And I think that's kind of this like this whole thing in place of if you have people and processes in place, you know what you're doing. You've been able to do it themselves. I think that's separating the people who've who are still buying businesses and are still operating today, and you have people who like a factory fourteen had to had to or just decided to remove themselves from operations and sold all their assets to uh, uh, Razor Group, uh, if I remember correctly, um, which which happened as of last week and it was very quiet. Uh, it went on Business Insider and it was a nationally thing, but it was you know it wasn't as talked about as much. And I thought it would be more talked about and a lot of people expect this to happen. Wow. A lot of people thought this would happen, but now it is happening. Now a lot of people are not clamoring as much as I thought, but so, so in this, they grew up so fast, I mean, this took off and then went down and went up again. And then now we're here. And against this awkward, weird space of people are still claiming they're buying and selling. People are putting on pause. And they're, they're just radio silent. There's like no marketing, no nothing. Yeah. What, what happened? Yeah. So, uh, so I guess so we have to stay, take a couple steps back. Right. Yeah. So, uh, once Thrasy approved the model and created all the hype, what, what started happening is other people wanting to get in on it. Right. So other people started raising the money, raising debt from private equity or, you know, uh, a, a, or yeah, private equity, family offices, so forth, sure. uh, to start buying these businesses. Right. Uh, and it all looked so easy. Because uh, a lot of like this is one of the things I think aggregators did really wrong. Uh, I don't think Thrasio did this. I think uh, a lot of aggregators did though. Is a lot of their background comes from high finance, uh, like M and A high finance kind of background, not from scrappy entrepreneurs, which is probably what you and I are more like, right? And like uh, we just start stuff and like, figure it out and optimize. It. We're scrappy, right? That's a lot of times not these people. Um, so they look at their projections inside of their spreadsheets of like what should happen based on growth, but they don't actually know how to pull the levers of growth once they have the asset. Great when it comes to M&A structuring, often terrible when it comes to operations. But this was all kind of like thrown underneath the rug because of the grand hype that was happening during uh, 2021 or 2022, the end of 2021, which COVID happened, right? The pandemic happened. Uh, everyone started shopping online. I have so many friends. They got huge paycheck increases because of this COVID bump of everyone literally being forced to shop online. So you could buy these businesses even at a high multiple and you're going to do well with the, like capturing all that growth that's going, coming on, right? Like I have friends in the affiliate space, for example, at the start of the pandemic, Amazon cut their commissions. They're like, wow, thanks, Amazon. <laughs> yeah, Great time to do this for Come me. On. <laughs> but they yeah, but they actually made more money because their traffic skyrocketed with the uh uh you know the this huge new cohorts of people coming and shopping online. Uh so basically in the last two years, we've seen like trends everyone knew, like anyone that's in e-commerce or marketing already knew that were going to come in like, say, 10 to 15 years happen in about a year and a half, right? Yeah. And a, a lot of those people are not going back to shopping physically, but some are, which will lead into uh, my next point. But uh, so you get all this hype. 
uh, that's going on. Uh, all this money flowing into the space. It just looks like win, 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 win. And it starts becoming kind of like, um, you know, selling swampland in Florida. Like it always goes up, right? Like, well, for a bit. <laughs> yeah. Until it's, so, yeah, I, until it's not sustainable yeah. anymore. Right. Exactly. So I think what a lot, uh, where we're at right now is a lot of the aggregators are feeling the pinch of like, man, this business is not matching the spreadsheet that I, you know, worked out. And they're coming to that grim realization that maybe they aren't the best operators. Uh, not all of them, like I said, uh, uh, there's a, definitely aggregators, really good operators, but a lot of them are not that. <laughs> like you mentioned with Razor, uh, I know a few others that are selling off their assets right now as well, very quietly, because like in the private equity world, like your reputation is kind of like a big thing to get the next uh, raise, right? Uh, so they probably don't want to be shouting about it from the rooftop. <laughs> right. So so a couple of questions me, lead me to there. This obviously doesn't affect you at Empire Flippers too terribly much because you guys aren't, you're not doing the buying or the selling, you're, you're doing the selling of the assets. You're not doing the, you're not handholding, like you're not taking the goods and you have to make them, do, you know, do all the tricks and things like that. You're not making them perform. You guys are doing the buying and selling. So you guys are probably seeing probably a, a downtick if it's fair in, in that realm, probably not in the other realms in that capacity. Am I right? Or is it kind of like steady? For or? sure. Yeah. So uh, with us in particular, like yeah, you're right, we don't, we don't operate the businesses we sell, right? Cause we're, we're a broker at the end of the day, M and A advisor. Right. So we sell it to people who will operate it now with what's going on in the industry. And there's more than just what I, what I uh, just said, uh, I can go into deeper, but what, what, with what's happening with aggregators, putting this pause of them hitting the brakes a bit, like, Whoa, let's slow down here and see if we can't, recoup what's you know what we have uh that does lead to less buyers right and that affects our marketplace so at least in the especially in the seven figure and up range because that's where most ags are uh you know purchasing and acquiring so that does lead to tougher tougher deals like uh uh tougher conditions for a seller to sell a business in uh which is why i call why i, I pitched this idea at the end of the season of the seller because the last two years has been the best seller's market i've ever seen like ever uh before that all those years before that was more of a buyer's market because no one really knew about this stuff right. so they weren't like bloated or anything in multiple is a great time for a buyer and i think now we're going like we're at the very tail end of that season of the seller and dipping more towards the buyer season we're not there yet but we're probably going to dip into like this kind of neutral zone uh and then things might dip more towards the buyer over the coming months okay yeah that, that makes a lot more sense and and I, I, and I never want any of these businesses to fail. And again, you, you saw like kind of stark differences, believe it or not, after we had a month or two later after on this podcast, uh, I had, um, Suma brains on here and that was the big, like, that was the big turning point mm -hmm. for, I think a lot of people are friends in the space of people like, oh my gosh, they just raised $150 million, but then now they're laying off 60 ish yeah. percent, something, something like that. And I, and I felt bad and I was like, of course that was going to happen. But then you feel better. Like, well, those are people out that like, maybe there's a miscalculation or something like that. Where, what, what's the reason you think that people are having to like, is it reconfigure the model? You said the spreadsheets don't add up. Is it that they just overbuy or that inventory doesn't match up or what, what's the big component that people are like, we made a big mistake and like fix our mess or somebody come fix our mess or like we're Please. held with like stuff. Yeah. Some, somebody, I don't know what to do now. Like it, it's, uh, something has to point to a lot of these different radio silences 
is it just like they bought one bad apple and it's kind of like really set them back or what, what are you yeah. doing that in? Yeah, so I think it's a confluence of events, like like most things, right? It's, it's usually not one thing that it, uh, kills you. It's usually death by a thousand cuts, uh, though there is a theme to the cuts. And, and this happens even with bootstrapped entrepreneurs, in my view, and that that is purely just an obsession with growth. Like uh, growth, I think, is the great fool's quest of an entrepreneur because it's something everyone wants. Sounds amazing, but you don't know what you have to give to get it. And often when you do get it, it, like, yeah, your revenues through the roof, but your profits are through the basement because <laughs> of what you had to do to get the revenue up. Right. Uh, so growth is often this double edged sword. So I think uh, what the confluence of events are happening here is aggregators, some bad apples, like what you said, like sometimes they just bought bad businesses um, that happens. Right. Uh, others is bad operations, bloated PPC. Uh, now there's the supply chain crisis, which I think is going to be deepening over the next few months rather than getting better. Like before a few months ago, when I was on podcast, I said, barring another black swan event, I think supply chain is going to be fixed probably in like within the year or something like that. But then we have another black swan event with what's happening in Ukraine, the shutdowns in, uh, uh, in Shanghai. Uh, so I was wrong. <laughs> on that okay. I think the, things are probably going to get worse. You didn't have there. money on uh, that. So that's okay. Oh no, yeah. Yeah. I only make bets with zero dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so there, there's all these confluence of events that are circling them. And they are also buying at high multiples while prices are rising up. PVC costs are rising up, more competition in the space. And now COVID, at least in, in, in the West and most of the world, is starting to recede. So now we're seeing retail coming back. Like you look at some of the uh, the traffic stats on Amazon, Shopify, and right, even my friends with the affiliate sites, it's way down from what, what it used to be because people are now going outside again, uh, which is something you know we figure would happen, uh, that there would be this drop-off, but it, the drop-off won't drop from like back to 2019 levels. It's still going to be significantly higher, but you will see a drop-off right? as people like go back to quote unquote, a more normal life. So it's, it's all those events compiled with some bad decisions, uh, uh, wanting to go hard at growth. And the more money you raise, like often the less freedom you have to move because now you have to uh, appeal to all these investors and like do things that bootstrap entrepreneurs simply can't do because you have to meet those investment mandates. That's what I was going to say. And I, I think it would be a good, a good way to kind of bring some, uh you know, Professor Gregory in here on here. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people are, when you're a seller and you're new to the space and, and you're listening to this podcast, a lot of people are, just don't understand the concept of, oh, they're raising this money. And then that that's kind of where the, the mindset stops. A lot of people, and I had to do my own education. I said, wait a minute, like this is makes sense. They're using a lot of different terms in here that maybe not just the, for capital, uh, for raises or towards equity and towards debt. And I think those are the two major components that we never distinguish the two. Money towards debt is, uh, money towards debt, and correct me if I'm wrong, is going towards the business itself. Uh, or money towards equity is towards the business itself, excuse me, a reset. Money towards equity toward the company is like a part of the company. So if of 100% of the company, they put a certain amount and they're buying like essentially shares of the company and they own equity right. within it. So as that company grows, they earn more money long-term. So they're kind of like giving them a loan because of that. And that's the trade-off. Money towards debt is, hey, I am a bank at a probably good rate, essentially, uh, private equity. I'll, I'll loan you this money if you need to borrow it from me at a good rate. And then you pay me back at a good, you know, a good investment timeline. 
I tell people that, and I think a lot of people are like, why are they failing now? Why can't they just figure it out, ride it out with all this money they have cash or like in their, in their vaults or, you know, like Scrooge McDuck in their vault basements or whatever <laughs> it is. They're diving into it. If they, if they have it all around, why can't they just wait it out or they kind of tweak stuff and then kind of get back onto that, that cycle like they were. It's because of the terms that they are borrowing money, correct? Like they have to pay it back at certain junctures or they quote unquote are defaulting on a loan. Is that, did I explain that correctly? Or is that what's happening to a lot of people if they just haven't gotten enough profit back to pay off the debt that they are borrowing from these companies? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's a good like uh, uh, overview of what's happening. Now there, there's things they can do like restructuring the debt, sure. which can help. Uh, it can also make things worse because it could add more debt on top of it, right? uh even with the lower interest rates but uh yeah like one of the things too like i mentioned like if someone gives you money whether it's debt or uh, equity uh you know in terms of how they're giving you the money like say it's a private equity firm or family office well they're gonna have mandates and like so it's not also just simply like paying them back but also having to do what the mandate tells them to do so right uh which i think is also caused some of this issue so for for example some of the mandates that the aggregators get is like you will buy x amount of brands per month and like okay i, I mean that sounds good on paper but when if x amount of brands ends up me buying three really bad brands and one good brand but i'm i have to buy four yeah. i can only use this money for that like so these are some of these stipulations i think probably hurt some of the aggregators as well so and then so looking at all of this, I I and I know you didn't want people to succeed because obviously Empire Flippers works with these companies. What are people looking for now? Like, it, has it become more? Has it become more? It, it's not just like, hey, if you have a pull, someone will buy you. Like you said, these mandates are, <laughs> are are pretty like broad. Of like, hey, if you were willing to sell, we'll we'll take your company and we'll figure it out as we go. Are people getting more strategic? Like, what what are they looking for? Like, what if I'm if I'm a brand, I'm like. I mean, I would like to sell my business, but I don't know what are these next criteria coming down the pipeline that I need to prepare my brand for. What are successful uh, aggregators looking for now? Sure. Uh, and, and like all this doom and gloom that we're talking about in this podcast, like aggregators are still buying, right? Like there are right. still people out there buying businesses. I do think that there will be a trend that we see. Uh, we might not see it fully play out this year, but I think long term we'll see it where entrepreneurs will start uh, raising money themselves to go buy businesses from various different financial platforms. So you start seeing bootstrap entrepreneurs kind of get yeah. into the game more. Um, but yeah, in terms of what a seller can do, focusing on quality is number one thing. Uh, and that's always true, whether you're in buyers or see, uh, seller's market, whatever. But uh, having good diversity of traffic, diversity of products, so, so uh, you know, diversity of revenue, having tons of reviews, four star and up reviews, having an email list, like which a lot of FBA owners sleep on. Uh, I think F, uh, email is incredibly important because you then you're taking uh, the rented land that you're living on inside of Amazon and building a little bit of your own land 
that you can use to go launch something off Amazon down the road, right? So these are some of the stuff people will be looking for. Uh, real brands, not things are uh, like in the Wild West days where people just were like, I sell a camera and water bottles. <laughs> like, you know, that's my brand, you know? Uh, that shotgun approach, I think, is like dying off a lot in, in FBA. And most, most buyers, especially at the high end, don't like to see that as much. They like to see products that are synergistically aligned, that they have the same theme, that they support and build into each other, right? Because most aggregators, they like, most buy on FBA, but most of them do not want to stay on Amazon uh, at the end of the day. They want to grow and to become the new Procter & Gamble, right? And of Procter & Gamble, they sell on Amazon, but they also sell on dozens of different channels, right? Yep. Omnichannel versus, and also their own websites. They also sell in retail. Yep. There, I, I think that play, I think this is also like this reckoning period of like, maybe it came too quickly. Like maybe they were forced to like have to move with step uh, or phase four or five too quickly where... You know, they're still building out teams. They're figuring out their way. Amazon, for lack of a better term, is the most simplistic. I say in the world of starting a business, it's probably the easiest way to get going. Now, to be successful, it's difficult. Now, there's all these different uh, different iterations of how to be successful in different categories and products and so on and so forth. Um, but to to start, and I've asked people this just off air and, and blankly, I go, why aren't you guys getting into uh, directed consumership or One's the play to retail or one's the play to like all these ways. I call them three pillars, the the Amazon, the or in the Amazon, the direct to consumer slash channel, the retail, and then, you know, um, that that kind of omni channel approach. So like those D to C Amazon slash marketplace channel and then retail companies that have been successful do that. I, call, I always say it and I will constantly say the zesty pause of started on Amazon, then went to retail and they're like in PetSmart, uh, Walmart. Uh, Target, all these different places, and uh, had their own website. And guess what, guys? They got bought for <clears throat> six hundred fifty plus million dollars, and that that was the valuation of a brand because they had all these pillars in place. Stuff like that, where I think like every aggregator wants to get to. So why? So what is this? Is this the movement towards those those places, or is it still going to be more mainly focused on Amazon? You think? So I think the uh, less experienced aggregators will probably stick with Amazon. Uh, I think the smart aggregators who want to go uh, and, and do the full vision of what most mm -hmm. of them want to do will probably start buying DDC e-commerce businesses instead of Amazon. And the reason why I say that is because, like, I agree with you, by the way. I think starting a business on Amazon is way easier than, say, starting a Shopify store. But when it comes to the conversion, so if, you, if you're buying right. a business, you already know it makes money, right? It's a proven market fit yep. uh, based on the P&Ls. At least it should be if you're, if you're buying yeah. it. If you're smart. Uh, so if you buy a, you're right. So if you're buying a DDC Shopify store, say selling that camera or blender or whatever, it's usually a lot easier to transfer that product into Amazon's ecosystem than transferring an Amazon product into the Shopify ecosystem. because. This is harder over here. So this is much harder to get your funnels working correctly. There's a lot more technology set up, conversion stuff that goes on in the background, all that kind of stuff. So we've seen aggregators buy Shopify stores from us specifically so they can take them on to Amazon. And so now they have two channels in there. And to your point about going to actual stores like retail stores, absolutely. Uh, we're seeing more and more uh, people doing that. In fact, there was a, I forget which aggregator it was now, but it was a pretty big purchase they bought a, a business that specifically has all the distribution channels for retail so they can 
like usher it all their products into that which is really cool and uh fascinating because uh, again i we were talking about this pre-show like my background um our company evergreen enterprise is still in existence and today um they really taught me the value of hey get your uh, get your distribution channels in place correct because um they were manufacturing distributing from uh ningbo china um our distribution and um facility was in richmond virginia so um from there we were selling to retail stores and things like that and that's where the bread and butter came but then e-commerce came in 2014 15 16 fba became really important um but we were still selling to like fanatics we were selling to uh qvc uh wayfair home depot all these things where a multi-million dollar business started to get really really like omni-channel which is really cool in a really big puzzle there was hundreds of employees that I only had five, like me myself was in charge of like affiliate marketing for one channel uh, for two websites. Uh, and it was a seven figure business for two websites, just myself. And then we had a PPC person as well for that channel and then email. That's it. Like, so we had that uh, on top of this like hundred person team for like wholesalers and salespeople in the field, uh, people who had key accounts to like a QVC and things like that. But then you were ordering products like a year in advance and you started to have the cycle process. That's what it that's why I think like businesses are striving to, but it's so hard to understand like the experiences that come from each of those segments. And it's it's just like a constant evolution, education process of um, like I said, Amazon is now rolling out this functionality of we're gonna be talking about this on Friday on the podcast. I'm excited about is kind of this, hey, you can buy with prime and get fulfilled on your d2c website through prime and it's like this whole bringing back the whole um uh almost like the third party channel of fulfillment the multi merchant fulfilled network um is what we'll talk about oh, so yeah. i'm excited yeah. to like so that that play into d2c also for people who just can't figure out like their own warehousing and stuff like that so all these different plays of it's going to be evolving and what's going to be easy for your business and how you're set up. I know people are um, in the aggregator space are constantly looking at, Hey, we, we want sourcing logistics to be unlocked. We want uh, there to be a warehouse or something tied to it where we can just store goods and we don't have to worry about like last second ordering or not getting goods in time. A lot of these things are now more valuable than just the, the listing on Amazon as like the top rank or anything like that. So, um, so where, where does this go from here, Gregory? Like, what's kind of like, if I'm a seller and I listen to this, I'm like, shoot, I missed my, I missed my shot. Like, <laughs> I missed my chance. Like, maybe it's another two years from now, we'll get a, an opportunity to like get to a multiple. Or what are you, what are your advices for people who are trying to exit their business now? Sure. So uh, how, how you said this is actually a, a question I get asked in multiple different ways. Uh, and it usually comes down to like, how do I time the market for the best exit, right? And people ask me that all the time. And I, I tell people like, look, the best time, the, the best way to time the market is based on your personal and business goals, which sounds like, you know, woo -woo, whatever, but <laughs> like the, the, the issue with timing the market is like, I have so many friends who've tried to do that. Uh, I have a friend, he had a, I think it was like a, I always mess up the numbers, but I'll get them generally correct. There is like a 400,000, $450,000 business, something like that. And he knew if he spent like three, four months fixing this certain thing in the side of the business, he could sell for an extra 10%. And he got that from a data report I 
published based on the research I did uh, on our marketplace, things that had this trade got an extra 10% lift. And so he did that. But what happened, and his, his was uh, driven by Google SEO traffic. So Google had an algorithm update during that, tanked his whole business. His business went from being worth like 430K to right around, I think, 180, 190K, something like oh, that. Man. And so like, was that like that timing worth that 10%? Like, which one would you have been happier with? Getting that extra 10% or not losing like $400,000, right? Or $300,000, whatever it was. Obviously, like, it doesn't want that one, but that's what he ended up getting. So I always tell entrepreneurs, be careful on uh, trying to time the market. Instead, seriously ask yourself, like, all right, what are my personal goals here? Like, what do I want? Do I want more time, uh, travel the world, whatever, right? And then what are your business goals, your financial goals? Like, what are you seeking to get? If your goal is like a, a million dollars or like two mil or two million dollars in the bank, whatever it might be, right? Ask yourself, does selling my business right now get me significantly closer to that goal? If the answer is yes, consider selling. If the answer is no, then hold off, right? Uh, and even if multiples do go down, it's not the end of the world. Because at the end of the day, like even before aggregators came about, people were still getting two to sometimes four years of their net profit up, like for their business, right? It's only recently things went like, Literally skyrocketing yeah. the aggregator demand, right? Which those are tech valuations. And I think that will probably end because these aren't tech businesses. I think that's another <laughs> painful lesson the aggregators are learning that they're not Silicon Valley tech businesses like SaaS businesses. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, building a multi-million dollar business, even where you exit for say a three, four X, that's huge, right? Like you are cashing out a massive equity. You built a system of leverage that you normally cannot do as an employee. You built a machine of income, scalable income that you can cash out. So I like, I wouldn't like let, I like end this podcast on like doom and gloom for the seller. Like, right, oh yeah. God, I missed out. Never about the good stuff, yeah. So uh, like the opportunity is still there. You'll still be able to sell. And I do think uh, selling your business, in my view, is really the start of your business because once you sell your business, you get all this liquidity that has been tied up in that business for so long. And as you, as you know, with FBA, that's a lot of capital intensive yep. work of that hamster wheel of success, right? That it opens up uh, when you do get that capital, even if it's say a 4X instead of this like a crazy 8X or whatever, like that's still life-changing money and you can now make moves you never never even knew existed because you you sold that business so that's what i would say like don't worry about it too much think more about your personal and business goals absolutely and this is something that you know we we had on the on the podcast which was really cool um his company he's in he's in canada um i'm gonna pull up his name real quick uh if you go back to episode for everyone who's listening to this, if you went to episode 234 of our podcast on YouTube or when it gets released audio-wise, um, we had all natural advice on, and he, um, as part of his exit, was part of a, he was the number one seller in uh, wellness products in Canada. Again, very random, very, very, that's where he lived, but he had been a banker for 25 years. Um, he, it was just an amazing story, but uh, he he got into Amazon at the beginning of the of this this kind of process. And uh, he started figuring out he had a couple partner, uh, he had a partner or two, um, then exited to one of the top retail based businesses that are trying to get in a, you know, Amazon and whatnot. They bought the business, but they bought him and his expertise as well. And I think that was really kind of the cool where a lot of the successful businesses are 
kind of merging the two of you need the expertise along with the asset that you have built because you understand the ecosystem, you understand the, the what what it takes to get this, you know, the supply chain, the whether it be local or international supply chain um, system in place, and then you also get equity within the company. So you can now build it something larger, like, hey, you get your your nice little payout there, but you also get some equity in the company long-term. So I think that's a really cool concept. Never used to happen on kind of a prove-it concept. You used to have to work your way through before you get equity into any sort of company. But <laughs> the fact that you're building out a product, now you become sort of an asset-based entity, but now you're getting you know equity within how that brand does and how the company overall does as a publicly traded company. That's It's, it's a mind-crazy blowing thing that where it's all of a sudden become possible and now we're talking about agencies that are being sold like advertising agencies for aggregators or peony companies to run brands um you're talking about SaaS companies that are now beginning rolled up all these things that become instantly more valuable you you work in the affiliate world and all these things is there another place that you're keeping your eye on that hasn't yet had its it's like shoulder tapped and Hey, you're next. Like this is the, the space that we need to keep an eye on. Yeah. Um <clears throat> with affiliates, so there are affiliate site aggregators. Uh they're rare, but I, I do see them now and again. One that is very weird is uh a, there's KDP aggregators. I think there's like one or two of them that, that what is buy that, those kind of businesses. Way. KDP. Uh, K- yeah, sorry, I probably should explain you're this. Fine. Uh uh, I'm a writer, so I love KDP. It's a kind the Kindle publishing program. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. So if you want to self-publish on uh on Amazon, it's basically almost like the business model is like a modern day publishing company mm-hmm. for uh books, basically, oh, right? Sure. Uh so you're seeing some of them uh starting to pop up. In terms of like new stuff, new business models, I I, I haven't say I've seen like something new that's really catching my attention uh uh lately. I think there is the interesting play for someone who can tap into the creator the creator economy that's coming on uh at scale so like you know what we used to call influencers now we're calling it the creator economy sure. uh but if you're able to tap into kind of that new media kind of like what the hustle and morning brew have been able to do with their newsletters uh i think you can win big uh in a lot of ways as well but um yeah I, I, like we live in an amazing time like you able to create equity into something like what you were just talking about like so many of those opportunities exist when you dive deep into uh you know business internet marketing selling a business to have like such huge amount of liquidity uh it's it's an amazing time yeah do you guys do you guys do software tools as well like are you brokering software tools Mm -hmm. like SaaS? okay yeah we had on carbon six recently and they came out of stealth um i'm not sure if you've met or got in, in ingrained with them, but such a cool, interesting model, which I've kind of always thought being from SAS, you know, and, and if watch the space grow, you know, I was like kind of waiting. I was like, when is somebody going to come along and just start saying like, listen, you do really good at this. You do good at this. Let's marry it and like become an aggregator of that. So the concept of what they're doing in both the Amazon, not just on private label, but it's on wholesale um, publishing kind of, kind of hitting all the roads of Amazon and what that looks like. And then I'm assuming e-commerce is, is at the forefront too, which is fascinating to kind of watch that kind of be an ecosystem to keep an eye on too. But um, so what, what about with uh, Empire Flippers? How, like what's, what's kind of the, the 2022 goals uh, you mentioned, like, Hey, I made these projections stuff happened in the world that we have no control <laughs> over. 
uh, what's kind of the roadmap for you guys? You guys have grown to like 90 plus employees. You guys are growing phenomenally. Um, it's really cool to see you guys speaking out affiliate world, which again, affiliates in my blood. So I always love when affiliate kind of comes to the forefront and said, I, I knew it. I knew I got into the right space at one juncture and it was going to have its moment. <laughs> um, I always love that and that compo that component. But what, what's on the roadmap for you, Gregory, here in 2022 and then Empire Flippers? Sure. Yeah. I mean, affiliate world, uh, I, I think kind of similar to you, like I've always really looked up to those guys. Like I think they're, uh, the, the woman and the men uh, speak on the stage. I think there's like some of the absolute best internet marketers I've ever met. There was funny. I, so when I spoke on the stage, I said that. And then I also said, you're also some of the worst business people I've ever met, which is true. Like they just like go crazy with these ads and, uh, like the affiliate conversions, but they often struggle to build like crazy big businesses even though they have this amazing talent but it was such an honor to speak there um but yeah so i'm actually going to be in barcelona in july uh barcelona spain speaking on another affiliate world event so oh, cool. um in terms of like other stuff i i was away from home away from vietnam for like six months of traveling so mainly going to be here and just like hanging out working uh um, chill out there yeah that's good yeah yeah like relax finally i'm home <laughs> um but uh in terms of ef i think what we're going to see is us helping a lot more entrepreneurs become uh acquirers and a lot of first-time entrepreneurs uh enter into entrepreneurship through acquisition so that's something i'm very excited for uh and i think like depends on the supply chain but uh i would love to see more DDC e-commerce businesses starting uh, to show up on our marketplace because I, I I I think that's like we have such a huge buyer network for e-commerce in general. Like I said, the aggregators are looking for them. Like our uh, our buyer network just passed over like six billion dollars. So like I think that's wow. a very untapped market for us because we used to be well known in DDC a little bit. But then Shopify took down all my guest posts I wrote for them when they launched their exchange. <laughs> so Those they just jerks. like converted it to their exchange. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. Uh, we're also reworking our SaaS uh, positioning to work on our SaaS valuations to try to attract more of that to the marketplace. So a bunch of different cool stuff going on. That's awesome. And then uh, quickly, if you're able to, people might like, hey, how does Empire Flippers, you know, how do they help people? Is it because is it percentage of sale or like can anyone sign up like how, how does that work um if they want to learn more information about that um they just go to your website what do, what if they have those questions sure so uh ef gets paid is by the seller so we get paid a commission uh on the successful sale of the business so if you go to empireflippers.com fees we have a blended rate and you can see what the commission rate is from there in terms of what your valuation might be uh just Google Empire Flippers valuation tool, and you'll be able to play around with that. It's, it takes like all of you know two minutes to do, and it's based on a, a real sales data, not listing price data. So you'll see what we think, you know, very guesstimate of what your business might be worth with that. But yeah, empireflippers.com. And uh, uh, yeah, if people want to connect with me, it's just LinkedIn and Facebook. LinkedIn and Facebook, got it. Well, we made sure we, we linked it out here, and I'm putting it in the comments section. Uh, for people who uh, don't know, they should, uh, if you have a middle website, it's really cool. It's actually, for me, I'm like, it, it's a treasure trove of little tools and little bits of information that I always love uh, poking around in there. So if you haven't checked it out, just kind of weaponize yourself with information and data. I always tell people, <laughs> you, if you have data at your fingertips, use a, utilize it as much as possible. So, but yeah, great stuff you guys are doing over there. I think it's pretty cool and fascinating. I think it's, it's one of the concepts of, 
hey, how do we how do we help other people grow and how other businesses um, you know reach their potential and their goals? Which it's it's always reassuring to hear of. Hey, if it's if you think if whatever your goal is, stick to that goal. Like don't don't be greedy. I mean, like you hate to tell entrepreneurs not to be greedy because at the core of it, you're like, oh yeah, there's <laughs> more I could do. But like walking away is like there's so much like, more. <laughs> right, there's more. There's like if I do one more thing, I can I can get another nickel. Um, no, just stop. It's like, that's why I don't gamble is like, because there is more you could do. Um, but that's another story for another time. So, so you're traveling, you're going to, uh, Barcelona. That's the next event you're going to be at. Are there any other events you have on your radar that you might be speaking at? Uh, not yet. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, uh, I have a lot of work to do in terms of the SEO, <laughs> the website I would like to uh, accomplish. So like, come on, boss, <laughs> we'll leave see. me alone. please. Uh, Just let me work. It, it, <laughs> if any conference owners out there are listening and they want to invite me to speak, happy to talk. Of course, I, I, I genuinely enjoy speaking on stage and like connecting with entrepreneurs. So I, I, I like to say yes to those events when I can. <laughs> awesome. Hey man, well, you've been, you've been uh, so helpful and uh, thoughtful with your time here today. Uh, thank you so much for coming on crossover commerce. And again, the best way to do that is connect with you on LinkedIn or Facebook as well. So, uh, Gregory, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today and uh, sharing some of your valuable time and resources. I know it's nighttime for you, so uh, I don't know if you're up for the day or if you're going about ready to sleep, but hey, man. Uh, the joke is pleasure. I never sleep. <laughs> hey, same here. I don't know when I get any work done or it's just always constant um, stuff like this, which I love. And um, But yeah, sleep is secondary to that. So thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce. Hey, I call people friends of the show now, so now uh, anytime you're welcome back. Uh, feel free to hop on again. Awesome. Yeah, let's stay in touch. Awesome. Thanks, Gregory. And thank you, everyone else, for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. Just a quick shout out. You saw in this uh, little screen below. Um, we've been featuring we uh, Crossover Commerce is actually a media sponsor of sourcing of, uh, the Mexico trip. Uh, it's pretty easy. Go to themexicotrip.com um, forward slash webinar. There is a great webinar that's happening this Wednesday, but you need to go to the website to sign up for free. Um, to hear why it's important to take a look at the option of sourcing in a different country, maybe not China. Um, we've talked about India before. Look at uh, Mexico as an opportunity. Get your questions answered from leaders in the space. Norm Farrar, Amy Weiss, Tim Jordan are putting on an amazing in-person event, but they're doing a free webinar to answer your questions. Go below, check that out um, in the link. It's in the show notes uh, where you can still have time to sign up. I'll be posting about it here um on linkedin today so make sure you get grab a space to hear all the great tidbits of information that they have going on as well that being said thank you gregory from um empire flippers and all the people uh who are listening and tuning in today if you didn't get a chance to i know we had a couple issues i think a hiccup on linkedin so if you are we're watching this typically on linkedin i posted the youtube video where you can rewatch the episode but otherwise look for the audio version coming out here shortly on all your favorite podcast destinations. But in the meantime, I'm Ryan Kramer for Crossover Commerce. Make sure you guys take care. Again, episode three, four, uh, three more episodes this week. Um, but we'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Take care. Mm -hmm.